I'm Sachi Sharma, and you're listening to Discrimination in Space. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a lovely day. I sure am. It's sunny out, and I'm super excited about today's topic, Valentina Tereshkova. For those of you who don't already know, Valentina Tereshkova is a feminist and space icon. She was the first woman to ever go to space. Valentina traveled on behalf of the USSR and completed 48 full orbits around Earth. This all happened in 1963, two years after the first ever space travel. At this point, you're probably wondering, Sachi, what does this have to do with discrimination? It seems amazing. Yes, there's only a two-year gap between the first space travel and the first female space travel, which I agree is amazing. However, the intent is what will make you think twice. The space race began in 1955, and by 1962, the USSR and United States were set on achieving as many space firsts as they could. One of these space firsts was sending a woman to space. The United States had attempted to win this one in 1959, but after screening a group of female pilots for astronaut training, they deemed that an important astronaut qualification was to be a man. To say I was infuriated when I found this out is an understatement but we'll talk more about that in a different episode. For now, I want to focus on the USSR's use of Valentina. I'm very glad she got the opportunity to spread equality in the way she did, but the USSR didn't actually care about equality. They only wanted to beat the United States, and to do so, they treated Tereshkova as a pawn in their little game. One could argue that this shows they cared about equality, but it wasn't for another 19 years that another woman went to space, and many accounts suggest that women did not receive the same treatment as their male counterparts, which isn't that hard to believe. I wish I could think of the first woman in space as someone who got chosen solely based off their talents and not someone being used. Don't even get me started on how they used her outside of space travel, too. Well, actually, please do, because that's what I'm going to talk about next. The Soviet leader supposedly pressured Tereshkova to marry another cosmonaut, Adrian Nikolaev. There are so many things wrong that I don't even know where to start. For one, it's just stupid. No one would care in a couple years, so why force the pair into a lifelong commitment for some propaganda? On top of that, they literally got divorced in 1980, which was bound to happen. It was just a matter of when. Let me know your thoughts on their relationship and if you think the USSR used Tereshkova or not. On that note, I bid you adieu, and I'll see you in the next episode. I'm Sachi Sharma, and you're listening to Discrimination in Space. Hello, hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a fabulous day. To be honest, I don't know if I am. I had tryouts earlier today, and I went to pass a ball, but when I looked up to locate it, the gym lights blinded me, and I face-planted. Then my friends started laughing and announced, while turning around in embarrassment, you look like Amelia Earhart trying to fly over the Atlantic. (laughs) Believe it or not, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing Amelia Earhart. You may be wondering what she has to do with space. And, well, you see, women like Earhart paved the way for all successful women, especially in the space industry. And I feel it's necessary to recognize her work for feminism as the first female to fly solo over the Atlantic. Amelia was admired by both men and women alike while breaking barriers every day. She openly advocated for equal rights and opportunities, saying things such as, One of my favorite phobias is that girls, especially those whose tastes aren't routine, often don't get a fair break. It has come down through generations in inheritance of 
age-old customs, which produced the corollary that women are bred to timidity. Keep in mind that Earhart was saying this in the 1930s. Just prior to the 1930s, women had begun working women jobs, whatever that was supposed to mean. But then the Great Depression hit America. With fewer jobs available, employers gave men most of the jobs, causing feminism a huge step back. Earhart's feminism helped women grow when it was most needed. Only based off this, I'm sure we all agree that Amelia Earhart played a significant role in the fight for equality, but she didn't stop there. In some of her articles, she explains how she used her female identity to her advantage by carving out a place for herself in the world of aviation. Despite her image as a woman overcoming gender norms, during interviews, reporters often asked Earhart about her clothes, her favorite recipes, and her marriage. These reporters wouldn't have asked such personal questions to her male counterparts, and sexism in interviews like this still happens quite often. Speaking of interviews, when Earhart was asked about her view on the roles of husbands and wives in homes, she responded with a thought-provoking answer. I don't even think this is modern thinking or feminism or anything of that kind, but just good common sense. In addition to that, she once said, I cannot claim to be a feminist, but do rather enjoy seeing women tackling all kinds of new problems. New for them, that is. If you asked me a week ago if I was a feminist, I would have said yes in a split second. But now I'm not so sure. For one, feminism has a bad connotation in our society, whether it be because of males feeling attacked by it or some extremely aggressive feminists. Second, the point that Earhart brought up about common sense. The fact that the fight for basic equality has a name is so funny to me. How does someone even argue against the fact that everyone deserves equal treatment? There are zero, even mediocre arguments that would make sense for it. We shouldn't have to say that we're feminists. It should be assumed that all people want equality. Saying it makes it sound so simple, but we have a long, long way to go to reach this. So, Amelia Earhart, the feminist icon, wasn't a feminist. How how ironic is that? Let me know, are you a feminist? Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. I'm Sachi Sharma, and you're listening to Discrimination in Space. Hello folks, Sachi here. I hope you're all having a divine day, and if you aren't, don't worry, because tomorrow's almost here. Now now, less about you guys, and more about today's icon, Sally Ride. I am so excited for this episode because we aren't just discussing sexism in the industry, but homophobia as well. If you recall, I mentioned the attempt at sending women to space by the United States in 1959. It simply was an embarrassment. NASA invited 13 women, who are known as the Mercury 13, to train and test for a space flight in 1961. But days before their arrival, everything got cancelled. Sarah Ratley, one of the women chosen, said, We quit our jobs in order to participate. Imagine the heartbreak they went through after being promised a spot in the space industry and then being sent home with no explanation other than, you're a woman. NASA sent men to space and forced the qualified and trained women to watch from the ground. Despite the poor treatment Ratley received at NASA, she was never bitter about it, saying, the space program has brought many new inventions and discoveries that help us in our daily lives. As we continue to explore, our quality of life will continue to improve, 
I love the space program, and I hope it will always continue. I guess it's good that she had such a good attitude, but she had every right to be mad about her time in the space industry. Let me know your thoughts on this. I would say that she should have spoken against it, but maybe it was different from her point of view in that time. If you're interested in the Mercury 13 and their journey, there's a documentary on Netflix about them. It was made in 2018 and has received amazing feedback, so you should all check it out. Let's fast forward about 20 years to 1977, when Sally Ride applied to become an astronaut. She was one of six women selected in 1978, and five years later, she became the first American woman to fly in space. Her journey leading up to the flight consisted of a lot of interviews, which is expected, but what wasn't called for was the questions that were asked. Will the flight affect your reproductive organs? Do you cry when you're under pressure? Will you be a mother? What do you do when you get your period in space? I knew we were all thinking these had to be some sort of screwed up joke, but no, they were dead serious. Regarding the period question, engineer, engineers asked Ride, is 100 the right number? Referring to tampons for rides one week in space. She responded, that would not be the right number. The male engineer said, we just want to be safe. What a joke. NASA was under the impression that Sally Ride's seven days in space would require 100 tampons. What did they think would happen? For goodness sakes, they're engineers and don't know what a tampon is or how it works. At that point, they should have just sent some bags of O-neg with her so that she could replenish herself after bleeding through 100 tampons. Imagine Ride sitting there getting asked this question. Did she think joining the space program would require her to teach her ignorant male colleagues about women's hygiene products? Yeah, didn't think so. On top of all this, NASA's official site has a page for Sally Ride, since she is one of the greatest astronauts in history, but none of this information was included. They even had the audacity to say that she applied in the first group of women at NASA in 1977. Let's not forget that NASA turned down 13 women in 1959. They also failed to mention any hardships Ride faced as a woman in the industry, let alone why she didn't come out till her death. Yeah, you heard that right. A piece of her, a piece of the essay Bear Ride, Sally's younger sister, said, Most people did not know that Sally had a wonderfully loving relationship with Tam for 27 years. Sally never fit, hid her relationship with Tam. They were partners, business partners, and Sally writes science, and they wrote books together. And Sally's very close friends, of course, knew of their love for each other. We consider Tam as a member of our family. So there you have it. Our, feminist, our favorite feminist space icon was queer. But why did she feel a need to keep this under wraps while working at NASA? Well, is it really a surprise that no active or former astronauts have publicly announced that they're gay? To put it simply, that's because it's a career wrecker. This may have been in the 1980s, but being queer is still a career wrecker today. I t could talk about that for days on end, and maybe I will in our next season. But for now, I want to say thank you for listening to this season of Discrimination in Space, and as always, have a lovely day.